close friends, good friends, uh, are hard to come by. As you know, the, the older you live or the longer you live, the older you get, uh, the more evident that becomes. Maintaining friendships takes work, doesn't it? it, it they don't just happen by accident. Um, we all have experienced friendships that have kind of faded because of neglect. Not because something happened or because there became some conflict. No, it, it, if you don't nurture a friendship, it, it kind of fades, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we all have uh, past friends, if we want to call them that, that nothing happened between us. It just, they're not in our lives anymore, right? I remember talking to a couple of my children about their high school friends and how committed they were to them and how they're going to be their friends forever and ever and ever. Now they haven't talked to them for 10 years. So friendships fade unless you nurture them, unless you take care of them, unless you prioritize them. And we all know the challenges of that, right? Life happens. <laughs> Things change, even between good friends. We teach our children the importance of choosing friends wisely. It's one of the key things we teach them. And so what I'm saying to you is special friends are rare. Today we're going to see a picture of friendship that's perfect, all right? A perfect picture of friendship. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. That's Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament. Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And we're going to look at how Jesus deals with friendship. All right? Let me read that for you. He, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I have three points that I want to share with you this morning as we work our way through this text. The first is this, Jesus chooses sinners. Jesus chooses sinners as friends. So there's hope, right? <laughs> Yeah, so why did Jesus choose this notorious sinner, Levi? One that was obviously on the outs with everybody in Capernaum. Now, let me, let me clarify something early on here so you can get a better appreciation for who Levi is. Levi is Matthew, right? Levi is the apostle Matthew, who became an apostle. He wasn't here, obviously, but... Levi's Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, the first gospel of the four. Keep that in mind as we work through how Jesus dealt with this man. So Matthew was a tax collector. He collected business tax, particularly, and his office was in Capernaum by the sea, as we just read. And tax collectors were 
were well known for their unfair and dishonest treatment of taxpayers. Whether or not Matthew, Levi here, was dishonest or unfair, we're not sure. But from the sounds of it, he was. Just look at his friends in this group. So, as we read, Levi was ostracized by Jews, by the general public, because tax collectors were viewed as traitors to their countrymen. Tax collectors in Israel were typically Jews who had worked for the Roman government. Uh, tax collecting was treated as a franchise, you know, so if you can have this franchise or that franchise, or you can, be, you can buy a tax collecting franchise in Galilee in Jesus' day. And so Matthew purchased this, this franchise, the rights to collect taxes, because it was a desirable business. You, you could have influence over people, extort money out of people, and live a very comfortable lifestyle. It was lucrative. Uh, they made their money, literally, by extorting more money than what was owed. This is why they were hated. They generally knew everyone's income and business practices and how much they should be paying, uh, and they told the Roman government all these things and then added their own little tip uh, to the transaction. So it sounds like somebody you and I would love, right? Exactly. They were hated. So why would, you, why would Jesus choose someone like this? Levi. He must have known the PR problem this would cause with a, uh, a guy who's trying to grow a ministry and, and you bring on somebody who's a dead weight like this. Doesn't sound too smart, right? Um, it it's almost sounds here as we begin to see the gathering of the disciples that Jesus was intentionally picking a fight. Who can I choose that would really tick people off? I know, a tax collector. It seems that's what's happening here. He must have known the conflicts that would have arisen between his own disciples. Jews, okay, just the four that were already here, Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen who were chased down by this guy, by Levi. Immediate conflict in his small band of followers. Keep in mind that Levi wasn't the only outcast that Jesus chose. You remember Mary Magdalene? Anybody familiar with that name? What was, what was her notable line of work? Prostitution. There you go. There's another one that might cause problems in the eyes of the general public. For, for Jesus to call these types to follow him was outrageous and offensive to everybody, everybody but particularly in the eyes of the religious elite. This really upset them, which is what we see here in verse 16. So why would Jesus knowingly invite this kind of problem? And there's something important here at play, and I want you to catch it before you leave here today. The, the, and I mentioned this before, but it's a it's a principle that repeats itself over and over and over again in Scripture, and I'm going to point it out to you again. It's called the second before the first principle. The second before the first principle. In, in Scripture, we see God typically choosing the second before the first, the lesser before the greater. Starting with the first person ever born, Cain. God chose and preferred his younger brother Abel. This pattern continues throughout Old Testament history. Jacob the younger over his older brother Esau, 
Joseph, not his ten older brothers. David, not his seven older brothers. Fishermen, not the elite. Prostitutes, tax collectors. The, the principle of the second before the first is common. And everybody in this room should give a hearty amen to that principle. Very few of us are first, are we? This is what we read earlier on the overhead. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not many of you were noble. By the way, if you're noble, please raise your hand. That's what I thought. Right? This is the kind of people that Jesus hangs out with, that Jesus chooses. Jesus was drawn to people who knew they were sinners, who knew they needed help. Remember Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the elite. Right? The best, the first, no, the lost. The people who knew they were lost. Jesus chooses sinners. Why? Because they're second? Well, let me, let me give you an obvious insight. <laughs> Is that an oxymoron, obvious insight? Sinners are the only available people. Did you realize that? The reason Jesus chooses sinners is because they're the only ones available. There are no righteous. We read that in Old Testament. We read that in Romans 3. There are, there are no well people. Everybody needs a spiritual physician. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is a leper. Everyone is spiritually paralyzed that we've learned here just in this chapter. Right? And saving people who cannot save themselves brings unparalleled glory to Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul made clear in Ephesians chapter 1. Three times in that short 14-verse section of Ephesians 1, he repeats the phrase, to the, glory of, to, the, to the praise of his glorious grace. What's to the praise of his glorious grace? Befriending sinners. That is what brings the most glory to Jesus Christ. People who can't do it themselves brings glory to God. Now, I want you to notice here how Mark describes the group of people that followed Jesus. And I'm going to read this to you from the uh, CEV version, Contemporary English Version. And I think it's on the overhead. Mark 2.15 says this, Later, as Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating there with Jesus and his followers. Now look at this last phrase in the contemporary English version. Many people like this followed Jesus. The outcasts, the bums, the rejects. Many people like this followed Jesus. This is what Mark is clearly communicating. Many people like what? <laughs> Dishonest, greedy, sexually immoral, swindlers, just like that, just like us. So the sins that you commit don't make you better or worse than the group that gathered at Levi's house. In an obvious and stark way, if you're not convinced yet of the group that you're in, in an obvious and stark way, the cross reveals the depth of our sinfulness, doesn't it? I mean, we, we aren't just white lie type of Christians that were easy to save. 
for God. The horrendous death of Jesus on Calvary's cross demonstrates the seriousness and depth of our depravity. Jesus saves horrendous sinners. He befriends bad sinners. <laughs> Everyone that Jesus died for, in other words, is a notorious sinner. So don't fall for the lie that your sins aren't as bad as the next guy's. Jesus only chooses bad sinners. There are no good sinners in the group. So I want you to look closely with me at Jesus' response to the Pharisees contained here in uh, verse 17. The first, the first uh, part of Jesus' response is a medical analogy that he uses, right? In this, in this answer, Jesus communicated his love and compassion for sinners. People who are sick need a physician, and that's why I'm choosing them. I'm the great physician. I, I see their need. I have compassion for them, and so I'm going to reach out to them and befriend them, touch them, heal them. And the Pharisees would have agreed with this part of his answer, right? They, they also believed that tax collectors and sinners were very sick people. Look at those sick people. Look how disgusting they are. Right? This is what, what we see here. The, the, this tacit agreement with Jesus' answer exposes the callousness of their heart. The religious leaders would have preferred for Jesus to shun this group like they had. Please don't go into them. They're rejects, and we're up here. The Pharisees were spiritually blind to their own condition. This part of Jesus' answer helps all of us see the importance of recognizing our own spiritual condition. If we're going to get help from the great physician, we need to know we're sick. Do you want help for the things in your life that are causing chaos? Do you want help for those things? Are you tired of the chaos? Are you about ready to throw in the towel because of the chaos in your life? Jesus saves people who are at that place. He resolves the conflict of those who understand the depth of their problem. Tax collectors, prostitutes, the lowly, the lowest. This is the first step. You must acknowledge your sinfulness. The second thing we see in Jesus' answer isn't recorded in this gospel, um, the gospel of Mark. But it's important. We have to go back to Levi's account. What was Levi's account? Matthew. Matthew recorded this same story. Levi recorded this same story, and he included an important part of Jesus' answer that's not recorded in Mark. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, or if you want to say Levi, chapter 9, verse 13, he says, he quoted Jesus saying this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, why would a tax collector record that part? Why would an outcast record that part of Jesus' answer? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, Jesus quoted from Hosea 6.6 6 when he said that which communicates that God is more concerned with the merciful heart than with the hypocritical conformity to external laws. So what if you can jump through legal hoops? 
is Jesus's point, is Hosea's point. I desire a merciful heart. Levi would have resonated with that real quickly, wouldn't he have? I, I can be befriended by someone who looks past my problems. This is what God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Lifeless legalism may look holy on the outside, but has never fooled God once in human history. The Pharisees were cold-hearted and unwilling to stoop to help these outcasts, these sinners. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. They really didn't keep God's law at all. They knew it, but they neglected it. The third thing in Jesus' answer I want to point out to you here is that he emphasized the goal of his ministry. What's he say there at the end of verse 17? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This was a direct play and a, a, a pinning of his opinion on the nose of these Pharisees. I didn't come to call you righteous, folks. <laughs> Don't worry. I came to call those rejects, is what Jesus said in his answer. This is what Jesus came to accomplish, to call sinners to himself. There's hope, isn't there? This is what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ came in the world to save sinners. And then how does he end that, that sentence? Of which I am the foremost. The Apostle Paul. He knew that, the Apostle Paul knew that in order to receive the grace of God, in order to be, to be one of Jesus' friends, he needed to acknowledge his great need, which is why he put himself at the front of the line of the needy. Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. Is that your attitude? Or do you spend a lot of time trying to make yourself look better than those sinners around you. Jesus goes after those who are at the bottom of the stack, not ones who are floating near the top. This kind of reminds us of the first beatitude, doesn't it? And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Until you understand the poverty of your soul, you can't be saved. Until you know you're sick, you won't go to a physician. Jesus' answer was also this clear condemnation of the Pharisees. They didn't realize how spiritually poor and blind they actually were. They were self-deluded, like someone with leprosy who can't feel their disease eating away their flesh. So too, these Pharisees were spiritual lepers who didn't recognize their deep spiritual need. Jesus chooses acknowledged sinners. John 15, 16, Jesus speaking to his small band of disciples, Right before he went to the cross, the next day, literally, Jesus said to them, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's why Jesus chooses us. None of your friends will be chooses us to bear fruit. So in his choosing, what does God actually see when he chooses people like you and me? He doesn't choose us to sit on our hind end and, and figure out our way to get to heaven. 
or, or you know, survive until heaven happens. No, what, what does God see in us that he would think that we could actually bear fruit? Centuries ago, a number of workmen were seen dragging a great marble block into the city of Florence, Italy. It had come from the famous marble quarry of Carrera and was intended to be made into a statue of some great Old Testament prophet. But it contained imperfections, and when the great sculptor who was supposed to do the sculpting, Donatello, saw it, he rejected it. He said, that's not good enough. One day, another sculptor noticed it. Actually, it was 26 years later. It sat in the courtyard of the church. Um, another sculptor noticed, the, noticed it and noticed it was flawed, but as this sculptor examined it, there rose in his mind something of immense beauty, and he resolved to sculpt it out of that rejected slab of marble. And over two years, this artist worked on the project, feverishly, really. Finally, on January 25th, 1504, all the greatest artists of the day assembled to see what this sculptor had made of this rejected block of marble. Among those who gathered to see was an artist named Botticelli. Another one you might recognize is Leonardo da Vinci. They were there seeing what this guy was going to do with this piece of junky marble. And as the veil dropped to the floor, <clears throat> the statue was met with amazement and praise, utter amazement. It was a masterpiece. And the following centuries have confirmed the judgment of those original observers. Michelangelo's David was the thing that this unknown sculptor at the time was working on. Michelangelo's David, the greatest piece of art known to man. So as Jesus saw all the imperfections of Levi, he chose him anyway. Levi became the Apostle Matthew. Not sure if his name was changed by Jesus or if he changed his name himself. But Levi became the Apostle Matthew. See, everything changes when, when Jesus chooses you. It's revolutionary. It was for Levi, and in order to celebrate this revolutionary change in his heart, Levi decided to hold this banquet in honor of Jesus that we read about here in these verses. I want you to notice a sidebar here um, before we move to the next point. Levi wanted to share Jesus with his friends, and he only had a certain type of friends. They were the outcasts, the hated. So he, he, he saw the value of Jesus and said, hey, my friend's got to meet this guy. Do you see the value of Jesus in that way? Were you willing to say, my friends need to meet this guy? Second point. Let's focus on verse 15. Jesus befriends sinners. Not only does he choose sinners, he befriends them. Not only does Jesus see the value in them, he, he nurtures that value. Look here at verse 15 again. 
And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus like that. First, Jesus chose Levi, and then he went over to Levi's home and spent time with him and all of his sinful friends. Um, it seems that sinners felt comfortable with Jesus. Jesus did whatever, what every good friend does, right? What do you do with your friends, your good friends? You eat with them, right? This is what we do. Like, come for a minute, let's go out to dinner, let's, let's have, whatever. We get together, we eat together. This is what was happening. This is what we do with our friends. This is what Jesus did with his friend, Levi. He ate with him. Jesus befriends the sinners he saves. Jesus actually loves us. Jesus actually wants to spend time with us. He chose us, and he's in the process of befriending us. Let's look at this pattern of Jesus' friendship towards sinners. It's a wonderful pattern. I think it's instructive. I want to point out then, that past then, then I'm going to examine now, and then the next future then. So let's look at the then and the past. And I want to go a little bit further back than the first century. Let's go back to before creation to establish Jesus' pattern of friendship gathering. What do we see in eternity past? We see the Godhead, including the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, befriending people that didn't yet exist. Listen to this passage and let it shake you as it should, as Paul intended it to. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, even as he chose us, God the Father chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his as well. When did all this happen? Then. Then. But there's also a then in Jesus' day. So come this side of eternity past into the first century in Jesus' day, he befriended many, like right here. Matthew, Levi. The reason he defended Levi is because in eternity past, God chose Levi to be loved, to be friended. That's why. Jesus befriends all those who were given to him by the Father. Remember in John 6, Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me. I'm going to befriend them. I come to earth to choose them and befriend them. These four Gospels are full of stories of Jesus' choosing people and befriending them, usually outcast types. Now let's move to now, the present. Every person who comes to Jesus by faith is befriended by him. Jesus befriends, how? How does he do that now, in our day, in our experience, our real, you know, um, time experience? Well, by granting faith. You know that the reason the gospel sounds attractive to you, the reason you come to Jesus is because he grants you faith to believe? That's why you believe. What did you think of the gospel before you believed it? Stupid. Trash. Who would believe this nonsense? Then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go, wait a minute. 
This actually sounds pretty good. God's going to forgive my sins. He's going to love me, befriend me, me. What happened there? Jesus granted you faith. He befriended you. He said, friend, here's some faith to believe. And we grab it and run. See, God grants us a new heart, a heart that's filled with faith to reach out to Jesus, to view the gospel as beautiful. Jesus befriends us by granting us faith. Secondly, he befriends us by staying close to us throughout life. Hebrews 13.5 is the well-known verse that addresses this. I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, our friends may. We may drift away from our friends or they from us because of different things in life. Nothing crazy, nothing happened. They just drifted away. But here it says, Jesus will never leave us, never forsake us, always stay close to us, day in and day out, sin in and sin out. Next, Jesus befriends us by pursuing us. Do you know that your Savior pursues you? He doesn't just save you and then say, man, I hope you'll follow me to heaven. No, he saves you, he befriends you, he pursues you when you don't pursue him even. He continues by his Holy Spirit to draw you, to convict you of sin, to uh, motivate you to open the scriptures, to motivate you into the company of the, of the saints. The reason you're here this morning is not because you're so interested in being here. It's because the Holy Spirit caused you to be interested in being here. That's why you're here. That's a befriending of Jesus. He continually pursues us throughout our lives. If he didn't, where would we be? Which are the rest of the friends that don't pursue us? Right? Yes. He invites us into his presence. Come with confidence, the author of Hebrews says, to the throne of grace. He is our friend. He knows us completely, loves us completely, and continues to befriend us. Uh, Sidelight again. I just want to throw out some practical things that come as we're thinking of this friendly Jesus. Are we friendly to those who need friends? I mean, Jesus was, Jesus is, Jesus will be. Are we? What does Paul say in Romans 8 that's happening to us as we walk the Christian life? We're being conformed into the likeness of Jesus, right? So are we befriending people like Levi, like Mary Magdalene? Are we befriending even people in this church who, who, who are here week in and week out, that we walk past them in the lobby and can't remember their name, and they've been here five years? Are we friendly people? You know that's the number one reason people say they don't come back to churches? Do you know that? They said, no one talked to me. No one reached out. No one said hi. I stood in the lobby in the corner for 10 minutes, and I said, that's it. That's the number one reason people don't return to church. <laughs> How easy is it to walk up to somebody with a smile and shake their hand? Do we, do we befriend people? 
I want to challenge you, Sun Valley Church, to do that. Don't, don't let someone walk by or, or see someone across the courtyard who's standing by themselves or someone you don't know and let that pass. It's not okay. Let's reach out. Let's be a friendly church. I, I, I heard it say, said, I can't remember, Dennis has brought this up a few times, uh, that we would have to bar the doors because there's no seats left if we were a friendly church. And I'm not saying we're unfriendly. I'm just saying, are we friendly, like Jesus friendly? Doesn't seem that Jesus had a problem gathering a crowd. And then we have then, past, now, present, then, future. Will Jesus always be friendly to us? Always be? Yes. Always be faithful. How about next year? Will he be faithful? Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you. Never means never, even in the Greek. Never. Will Jesus befriend me in death? Oh, friend, will he? Yes. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He will befriend you in death. See, in death... We shed everything that inhibits our relationship with Christ. That's why it's so attractive to Paul. Then there will be nothing between me and my Savior. How about an eternity? How about a million years from now? Will Jesus still know my name? Still befriend me? Even with all those famous Christians, even with Levi in the room? Is he going to remember me? Listen to what Jesus himself said. In John 17, Father, I desire that they also, they, us, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Jesus can't wait for our arrival. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, and so we will always be with the Lord. When? After he comes back for us, after things end, we get into his glory And it says, we will always be with the Lord. And he says, appropriately, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Is that encouraging to you? It should be. Thirdly, what we see in this passage is that Jesus suffers for sinners. He chooses sinners. He befriends sinners. He suffers for sinners. Do you see the suffering that Jesus took on here in verse 16 particularly? If there's one thing we know about Jesus, it's that he suffered, right? The Old Testament prophesied it. The New Testament records it. He suffered. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So let's look then again, back, past. Um, We see in this text, verse 16, that he was ridiculed for spending time with outcasts. And the scribes' rhetorical question in this verse was was meant to hurt, was meant to cause suffering in Jesus and his disciples. Why, why would Jesus, this supposed religious teacher, eat with deplorables? That's what they were asking. They didn't expect an answer. They wanted to hurt. Uh, they wanted to place questions in the minds of the disciples. Yeah, why, why are we here with these bums? That's what the intent was 
to make Jesus and his disciples hurt. It was meant to undermine, inflict suffering. He endured, Jesus did, all that sinful man could throw at him. We can read, right? They ostracized him, rejected him, ridiculed him, tortured, killed him. And Jesus expected it. He said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. For sinners, this gentle, loving, humble Jesus suffered greatly then. How about now? Is Jesus suffering now? Well, he's in glory. We wouldn't call that suffering, right? He's with the Father and the Spirit, perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect fellowship. Is he suffering? Let's find out. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, he's able to save those to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So currently, he's praying for you, interceding for you. What's included in that? Well, he's a good shepherd who still suffers for his sheep. Still. His current suffering is not how we would describe suffering normally, but I'm including his current ministry to us in the suffering category because we remain a needy people, full of pain, full of sorrow, full of sin, that he bears today. What pains us pains him. What saddens us saddens him. When we, sit, it, when we sin, it grieves him. He can and he does empathize with us sheep daily, now, currently. He knows every burden we carry. And when you take it to the Lord, he takes your burden on himself and bears it. He even bears burdens when you don't take it to him. And he does it joyfully. How about then? Then, in the future. One day when God is all in all, Paul says one day that will happen. God will be all in all. Not real sure what that completely means, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. But we know from reading Revelation that our shepherd will wipe away all of our tears one day. We will enter our eternal home one day, full of worship, full of joy, complete. The suffering of our Savior will end. His purposes will have been fulfilled. You and I, friends of Jesus, will be fully saved. Amen. Suffering will be no more. Not for Christ or for us. Friends, we have a Savior who chooses sinners, befriends sinners, suffers for sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. It almost makes you glad to be a sinner. Doesn't it? Again, a side note. Are we willing to get a little uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to associate with people who may be rejected or on the outskirts? Friends, I want to challenge you this morning to follow Jesus' example of loving sinners. It's the best way to get the gospel into their heart. And what a time of year to do it. Everybody's listening. Our circumstances are perfect for a loving, friendly Savior. Will you take Jesus to your friends like Levi took Jesus to his friends? We've got stacks of the Gospel of John back there for that purpose. 
this time of year, you give gifts, you, you do things with. You, you're always trying to think of other people. Insert Christ. <laughs> a Gospel of John, a dollar. Put it with your cookies. Put it with your greeting card. Keep a few in your, whatever, in your car. And I don't know if this is right or not, Josh, but put a dollar bill in there and give it to these guys who are asking for stuff on the side of the road. There's a dollar bill and a million-dollar book, the Gospel of John. Be ready to love sinners. So, what a story. Aren't you glad that Jesus is friendly? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so overwhelmingly thankful for your friendliness, for being a friend of sinners like us who are completely lost without you, who have no hope of forgiveness, no hope of life, no hope of future, but for your friendliness. Oh, Lord Jesus, we joyfully embrace that friendliness. We joyfully embrace you, the friend of sinners like us. As we enter this time of year, Lord, use us to reach out to those in our circle of influence in this church, outside this church, and be friendly for the sake of Christ Jesus. Help us to be a church that, that is known in this valley for its friendliness, for its love of the great friend, Jesus Christ. Bless us, Father, now, in the name of our friend Jesus. Amen.